0: Good morning. Good morning, Good morning, Beau. Welcome to BCF Church. If we haven't met, my name is Bo. I'm so glad hey, you're here. Welcome back to our series. We don't talk about because there are some topics that we just don't talk about in church, and we're talking about them. You know, I was I was planning for this message. I was thinking, why are these topics so taboo? Why don't we talk about them? And I thought of three reasons. First, some of these topics are very private, like what I believe, how I spend my money, what we do behind closed doors, that's none of your business, it's private. And second, some of these topics are controversial and we don't wanna start a fight, so let's just not talk about it, okay? And third, some of these topics are embarrassing. You know, we don't talk about Bruno, because Bruno is an embarrassment to the family. Well, today's topic is all three of these. It's private, it's controversial, and it's a bit embarrassing. We don't talk about sex, especially not in church. Now, if you have elementary age kids or younger with you here today, I want to invite you, take them right back there to our kids' wing, to our children's church. They are going to have so much more fun back there. You will be so much more comfortable with them back there, and you won't have awkward conversations on the way home like I'm going to because my son's in middle school. We are talking about sex, and I think sometimes the, the church, we treat sex like it's this great evil. Sex, ooh, that's bad. We don't talk about that. Now, I mean, if you're married, okay, just, you know, keep it to a minimum. Don't have too much fun. But, but we're not going to talk about it. Meanwhile, in our culture, sex is everywhere. It's on TV. It's in movies. It's all over the internet. It's everywhere, but we don't talk about it here. Well, today that's going to change. Because God talks about sex in the Bible. And so we're going to to look at some questions. We're going to see what does the Bible say about this. Now, I want to invite you to take out your note-taking guides so you can follow along. If you didn't grab one of these, you can just get out your smartphone and just scan that QR code. There, There it is, right there on the screen. And I want to invite you, and that'll also help save on paper if you do that, follow along in the Bible app. Our first question, whose idea was sex anyway. Well, let's go back to the beginning of time when God created the first two humans. Here's what the Bible says. God created human beings in his own image. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how we are made in the image of God. That means God gave us eternal souls that have the capability to choose love. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God created the first two humans and the first thing he says to them is go have sex. Go make babies. And, and we're like, well, what? Yes, this was God's idea. This is God's design, but why sex? And, and why is this so special? Well, the very next chapter goes into detail on how God created the first two humans. The Bible says when God created man, he formed him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul, but it's just one, it's just the man, just the male and Shortly after, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And it's not like God made a mistake. Oh, weren't there supposed to be two of these? No, but God made one. He says it's not good for him to be alone. But then God does something special. He doesn't then form a woman out of the dust. Instead, God takes the man. He knocks him out. He's unconscious. God takes his rib out, closes it up. and So first recorded case of anesthesia and surgery in the Bible And God takes this rib and he uses this rib and forms the first woman. And then brings her to the man. And when Adam sees her, he says this, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. And she will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so sex is the picture of man and woman who... She was taken out of man, and now they come back together to be one again. And the Bible gives us this explanation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So God designed sex to be the physical expression of a man and woman uniting into one within marriage. It's a physical expression of something very special. This is the most intimate thing two people can do together. And God says, this is a picture of two becoming one. You know, whenever Jesus was asked about marriage, he always pointed back to this same passage in Genesis. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So Jesus is pointing back to this same Bible passage in Genesis. And then Jesus says this Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus is saying, Marriage is meant to be for life. And sex is meant to be within marriage because it is this picture of two becoming one. This is why the Bible says marriage must be honored among all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. If you have a pen or pencil, I want you to circle that phrase, the marriage bed. That's code for sex. God is saying sex is only for within marriage. And then it says, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. Whoa, God will judge? That's harsh. And we might wonder, why does God care about sex? Why is this such a big deal to God that sex be within marriage? And for that matter, why does God care that it's a man and a woman? Why not two men? Why not two women? Why is this such a big deal to God? Well, we're going to find some clues in the Bible book of Ephesians. I want you to follow with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. First, Paul he writes to husbands and wives. He says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So God's saying, Love, husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Just like Jesus died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us so we could be forgiven, so we could have a home in heaven. He's saying, love sacrificially. Okay. But why husbands and wives, why is this so important? Now watch this, verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. There it is again, he quotes Genesis again, two become one. Why? This is a great mystery, he writes, but it is an illustration Of the way Christ and the church are one. You see, God cares about keeping marriage pure because marriage is a picture of His love for us. Marriage is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. All of creation looks forward to a future wedding in heaven. We find this in the book of Revelation. At the end of time, the Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's Jesus. And his bride has prepared herself. The bride is the church. All of us together. Are the bride of Christ we are the church and so marriage here on earth is a picture of that wedding in heaven that's why Jesus said marriage is for people here on earth but in the age to come those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage some of you who are married you're like wait a minute so I won't be married to my wife in heaven no Well, isn't that sad? Don't nudge each other right now. No, it's not sad. And I'll tell you why. My wife Gianna and I, we both love Jesus Christ. We are both part of God's universal church. So when we get to heaven, we will be more in love with each other in heaven than we could ever be here on earth. We'll be more united in heaven because we will both be part of the church, the bride of Christ. God cares about sex because it is the most intimate thing two humans can do together, because it joins our hearts and our souls and our bodies together as a picture of two becoming one, looking forward to that one day when we will become one with Jesus, when we will be married to him in heaven. And so God says this is meant for the commitment of marriage here on earth because it's a picture of my love for you which never ends. Well, if that's what sex is meant to be, How do we get where we are today? What went wrong with sex? In Bible times, so many cultures did not worship God. In fact, many of them worshiped sex, literally. They had gods and goddesses of sex and fertility, and you'd worship at these temples, and part of the worship was spending time with a temple prostitute male or female depending on your tastes and so the Bible says they traded the truth about God for a lie they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator himself who was worthy of eternal praise amen what's happened they worshiped sex it's like David Kretz shared last week When you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing, you believe in anything. What went wrong with sex is that we worship sex instead of the God who created it. You know, our modern society is not that much different from ancient Rome. We treat sex like it's this God that must be obeyed, and my sexual drives I need to follow them and if I don't follow them, I'm somehow suppressing myself. I'm not being who I was born to be. And so if my sexual desires tell me to pursue this woman and she's not my wife. Well, I need to follow these desires, and I need to do this. And who cares what happens to my marriage? Who cares what happens to my my integrity? Who cares what happens to my family? Who cares what happens to my life? And this could destroy my life, but it doesn't matter because I need to follow these desires. And we treat it like it's a God. And our culture reflects that. Pornography is available on demand on the internet to anyone. One study showed that 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. Let that sink in. And that's not just out there in our broken world somewhere. This is right here in the church. Another study found that 64% of Christian men And 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. And yet, in the midst of this sexual pandemic, the church is silent. We don't talk about that. And sometimes even worse, we treat marriage like it's somehow the cure for sexual sin. Like just go get married and all these bad desires are going to go away as a married man who has struggled with pornography I can tell you marriage is not the cure and then sometimes we preach to our singles get married because somehow this is going to make you truly happy like your goal in life needs to be to find the one and then you'll be happy when God is the only one who can make you truly happy author and speaker Marion Jordan writes so often When we feel discontent or incomplete, we think the solution to our problem is meeting the one. And we tell ourselves, if only I could find Mr. Right, then I would be satisfied. And so often we mistake our hearts longing for God and his unfailing love as a longing for romantic relationships. Marriage is not the cure. Usually marriage is a mirror. It mirrors back to me the things that are in my own life. And sometimes that's my own selfishness and my own ugliness. It does not cure my sin, it points my sin out to me. And life is not all about our sexual desires and pursuing these things. Life is all about pursuing Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I need to dress the elephant in the room. What about homosexuality? To prepare for this series, I read this excellent book by Jackie Hill Perry called Gay Girl, Good God. Because I can tell you what the Bible says about this. And I have done the research. I've looked into the original languages because I wanted to know when the Bible says this, what does God mean? I can tell you what the Bible says. What I couldn't tell you is what it feels like as a straight white man, to be a gay black woman. And so as I read her book, I was able to see life from her perspective. I was able to see the, and some feel some of the things she was feeling and see the freedom that Jesus Christ brought to her. I want you to hear this in her own words.
1: I think when you consider the culture today, a lot of how we talk about sexuality or how we view sexuality, it doesn't come from scripture, it comes from stories. Yes, there is the reality of same-sex attraction and what that means for humanity, but there's also the other reality that God is real and that his word is actual and that it is to be believed and when believed, things change. It's mainly three reasons I wrote the book. One, for those who are in the church and seeking to love the gay community so that they can understand how it feels, how it feels to be someone who has an attraction to which you did not control and how hard it is to walk free from that. And so to have some sense of empathy I also wrote the book for those who are believers in the church, who are yet still same-sex attracted, to say, I get it, you're not alone in this, that there are other believers that can fully understand how it feels to be in the position that you're in. There's also the third group that I wrote the book for, which is unbelievers, who think that this whole conversation on sexuality is just centered on sexuality, because it's not. Really, ultimately, this is more about God than anything. It's saying that Colossians 1 16 says that all things, including my body and my sexuality and my identity, all things were made through him and for him. And so this is less about sexuality and more about, are you living for the reason you were made, which is to know God and glorify him. And so I wanted the book to kind of point to God. I know it's a memoir in many ways, but it really isn't about me. It's me leveraging my stories so that you can see the gospel rightly.
0: We're gonna put a QR code up here on the screen so you can find this book on Amazon. I think every Christian in the church should read this book. Get some perspective on what it means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender your desires to Him, and what does it mean to truly follow Him. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling with same sex attraction, I want you to know two things. First of all, Jesus loves you, and we love you just as you are. We want you here. And second, I want you to know my goal today is not to straighten you out. My goal is not to get you to pray the gay away. You know, somehow I need to fix you so you can start following Jesus. No. My goal today is that you come to know and love Jesus Christ and pursue Jesus Christ, and Jesus can change you from the inside out, not me. And because I love you, I need to share with you what the Bible says about this. And we're going to read a very challenging passage from the Bible, it's found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom do not be deceived no sexually immoral people and we've talked about why this is a big deal to God no idolaters those who worship the created thing instead of our Creator no adulterers or anyone practicing homosexuality I want you to notice three things first The Bible lists homosexual behavior as a sin. And I've done the research on this passage. I've looked into the original language. And the Bible is very specific. This is describing homosexual practice. And this isn't in the Old Testament. This is written to a New Testament church living in a sin-crazed culture. I think sometimes we we treat homosexuality like it's something new, something we've discovered in the last 50 years or so, but in reality, the church has been dealing with this for over 2,000 years. But then I want you to see, the Bible continues this list. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Second, I want you to notice homosexuality is not the worst sin. It is not first or last on this list. God doesn't count it as better or worse than adultery or drunkenness or theft. And I think sometimes as Christians, we treat it like it is the worst sin, like somehow it's different, it's separate, it's set apart. And God says, no, it's all sin in my eyes. And honestly, Our church has a far greater problem with heterosexual sin, with sex before marriage, with adultery, not to mention the other things on this list, like drunkenness, and that includes getting high on drugs, or being verbally abusive. That means habitually hurting people with our words. God says all these things will keep you from inheriting my kingdom. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where Jesus Christ rules in our hearts. It starts here. And can we say I truly love Jesus Christ but I want to hold on to my sin? I want to hold on to my habits. I want to hold on to my my desires. If we say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to hang on to this, I have to ask, do I truly love Jesus? God says, none of these people will inherit my kingdom. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news. The Bible continues. The very next sentence, Paul writes, and some of you used to be like this. If you have a pen or pencil, I want you to underline, used to be. He's saying, this used to be who you were. This is not who you are anymore. He says, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. That means God made you holy. But you were justified. That means God made you right with himself. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I want you to notice, number three, your sin does not have to define you. You don't have to define yourself by your struggles. Don't let the world define you by your struggles or by your desires or by your habits or by your sins or by your temptations. And Celebrate Recovery, we don't do the typical AA introduction. Hi, my name is Bo and I'm an addict. And you all say, Hi, Bo. Yeah, you've all seen it on TV, right? In Celebrate Recovery, we don't say, I'm an addict. I would say, my name is Bo. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with sexual addiction. My struggle is not who I am. I find my identity in Jesus Christ. I find my identity in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. He bought my freedom on the cross. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who's changing me from the inside out. My good friend Aaron Galvan, we've served God together here at BCF Church for over 18 years. I want you to hear his story of how he's found his identity in Jesus Christ.
2: Hi everybody, my name is Aaron. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with depression, anger, codependency, and I'm celebrating six years of sobriety from sexual addiction. And something that I don't share often is part of my struggle is with same-sex attraction. I grew up in the church. My family and I went to Sunday morning church every single week, we never missed it. At the age of five, I, was, I began to be sexually abused, and that lasted for six years. I started to learn and realize that the things that had happened to me and the things that I was still doing uh, were wrong. They were sin. And I struggled with that because I believed in God and I knew he loved me, but I still wanted to do these things. I would go to church on the weekends and I would be, you know, as perfect as possible. And I loved Jesus. and. I was happy and then I would go home. You know, I would look at pornography or uh, I would hang out with wrong people. You know, in, in our culture, in our society, being gay, being homosexual was wrong. And that was it. And not being able to, to talk about it because I was afraid, that told me that there was something wrong with me. And so I didn't know it at the time, but I started to hate myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't like looking in the mirror. And I knew that God loved me, and I knew that God forgave me. But how could I forgive myself? Because I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to have these feelings. I didn't want to have these thoughts. I needed to decide if I was going to really follow God and let go of you know this life that I had before, or if I was going to let go of God. And I remember being in my apartment and thinking, no, this, I want God. I want this life. I want what he has for me. But I still had these these feelings and these emotions and I hated myself for it. And it wasn't until a few years ago I started seeing a therapist. And I think, I stopped hating myself last year. You know, the Bible talks about sin and what is sin and what's not sin. And your feelings and your thoughts, what you're attracted to, that's just what they are. They're your feelings and they're your thoughts. That's your attraction, that's between you and Jesus. It's when you act. It's when you choose these thoughts over God, it's when you choose these feelings over God that it becomes sin. And being able to separate those things in my heart and my mind, that really gave me the freedom that I've needed for my whole life. Realizing that there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not wrong for having thoughts or feelings or emotions. I'm not broken because of that. I'm broken because of the, the things that I chose to do. I'm broken because of the sin that I gave into. I'm broken because I was born into a broken world. You know, I wouldn't have six years of sobriety. I wouldn't be able to, to st- get on the stage and, and say, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I struggle with depression and I struggle with Um, sexual addiction and I struggle with all these things but I'm still here and I'm still doing what God wants me to do and that's my identity I'm a believer I'm a child of God and and not these things in my past not these thoughts not these emotions not these attractions it's that's not who I am that's not how I see myself anymore now I can say I'm a faithful believer in Jesus and really know that that's my identity and that's who I am and who God made me to be.
0: It takes a lot of courage to share your story up here. But I wanted you to know Christ brings freedom and healing. Whatever your struggle is, Whatever your temptations are, whatever your feelings are, whatever your failures are, whatever your habits are, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus, and that means I have to let these things go. For many years, I struggled with pornography, and I tried as hard as I could. I did all the things I knew how to do to stop sinning, but I could not stop sinning on my own. And you know what brought freedom surrender I read this Bible verse Jude 1 and now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault and I realized God is the one who's able to keep me from falling I can't keep myself I can't bring myself into his presence without fault. He brings me into his presence without fault. And so one day I just surrendered. I said, Jesus, this is my failure, and I can't stop sinning on my own. So Jesus, I'm giving this to you. And he brought freedom. And then I had to tell others. The Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I had to find other men who could pray for me, who will hold me accountable regularly. And Christ has brought freedom. I'm celebrating eight years of sobriety from looking at pornography. And I want you to know, the struggle doesn't go away. The temptation doesn't go away. The feelings may not ever go away. But Christ brings freedom. I don't have to follow these because Christ brings freedom. Maybe you're wondering, well, where do I start? I want to invite you to check out Celebrate Recovery. We meet here Friday nights 7 o'clock. This is a safe place to share your hurts, share your habits, share your failures. Find others who know what you're going through who will pray for you and encourage you and help you find freedom. And it all starts with Surrender. It all starts with saying, I'm going to let go of this failure, of this sin, of this temptation, of these feelings, of whatever it is, I'm going to let go of this so I can follow Jesus. Choosing to surrender brings freedom. Choosing to let go of my life brings true life. Choosing to let go of my desires brings true happiness and satisfaction. Will you let go? I want you to bow your heads right now and let's talk to Jesus. If there's something you're holding on to, some sinful desires, some ugly habits, some repeated failures, will you let them go right now? I want you to talk to Jesus about that during this next song.